0: Hey everybody, welcome to the MBIT podcast in which we discuss investing, tech, and entrepreneurship. Today we'll be discussing the VR industry, metaverse, and what it could mean for the future. Before we continue, make sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss out on future episodes. You're tuned in to the MBIT podcast, led by Seamus Madan. Economic and financial topics broken down. Educating you on your financial journey. To touch on these topics, we have the founder and CEO of Golf Plus, Ryan Engel. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. So uh, before you started your company, you worked at Wikibuy. So what made you decide to create your own company in the VR and metaverse space?
1: Yeah. Um... Well, before WikiBuy, I worked. uh, I I did. I started doing mobile app development in like 2000, late 2008. So right when the iPhone App Store came out, uh, I started doing mobile app development, you know, professionally. So I got into that really early and kind of saw the smartphone, you know, industry go from basically nothing to you know Fortune 500 companies all wanting to build apps. And I ended up getting a job at a company that would just make apps for other companies, right? So if you wanted to make, if you were a company and you wanted to make an app instead of hiring a team, you would hire us and we would make it for you. And in the process, I uh, worked on a really interesting project for a company called Glasses.com. They were associated with 1-800-CONTACTS and they wanted to build an app in like 2011. They wanted to build an app that would let you see what glasses look like on your face before you buy them using your ipad right so ar at the time the term ar did not really exist outside of universities it was just very new so we actually ended up calling it virtual try on uh i i ended up founding my own company to kind of pursue that project and um and it was just the most interesting thing i'd ever worked on so you know that got me really thinking about augmented reality and this idea that uh, digital content doesn't have to be on a flat screen, eventually it's going to be all encompassing. Uh, and then, you know, the Vive came out in what, 2006? And I tried that and I was like, wow, VR is really interesting. This is way better than I expected. The fact that it's relatively cheap and it's this capable is, is incredible. Um, so then when Apple launched ARKit, I said, okay, I think it's for me to get back into this AR VR thing. Uh, and, uh, I, I ended up, uh, I've been playing golf since I was 11 and I was playing golf and kind of trying to come up with AR ideas to sort of justify, you know, leaving my job to go pursue. And I was playing golf and, uh, having a great round of golf, but missing a bunch of putts. And I, you know, I kind of told myself, well, if I knew which way these putts were going to break, uh, you know, cause putts aren't. Right, Flat, yeah, you have the
0: hills, you got everything in there, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, golfers have caddies that can help them read them and blah, blah, blah. That You know, I think I told myself at the time that if I had the perfect read, then I would be making more putts. So I thought maybe I can use AR to, you know, capture the green uh, in 3D and uh, use it to to basically show you the line from your ball to the hole and do it in a way where it's using your phone, it's all powered on the phone, and it's fast enough that it's actually like a reasonable experience. So I created that app, you know, and and got it working, got it working well enough that I convinced myself that it was worth leaving Wikibuy uh, to go pursue this. Uh, I had been at Wikibuy for four years and, you know, I was a the CTO there at the time and I was the founding engineer originally, and the team was already in great shape. Like I was fully vested, uh, it, you know, all, a lot of the R and D and stuff had kind of been solved, which is sort of my specialty. So it, it was a kind of a good time to go do something else anyway. Um,
0: but I decided was it, to, was it making the- any revenues before you left, uh, Wikibuy?
1: Wikibuy it was yeah it was uh you know it, it had taken on quite a bit of investment and we were at the point where it was uh profitability was like basically right around the corner it was pretty clear what had to happen against to profitability so yeah. uh you know it, it was it was doing millions of dollars it was pretty successful it, it ended up getting acquired by capital one uh later oh, that's
0: neat yeah
1: later that year uh so and it, it was kind of pretty clear that there was going to be a pretty good outcome uh, when I left. So it, it was, it was, uh, leaving wasn't super high risk to the business at least. Uh, it was high risk to me cause I was going to do a startup that, you know, was had <laughs> startups are hard, but, um, I ended up getting the app done and, and, you know, I think what's really important, wh- what I found to work pretty well in my career is it's really important to understand what companies are trying to market. Um, so when I had done, you know, iPhone app development, Uh, every year Apple does WWDC and they release a new OS and it's always got some new features that they're kind of pushing, right? And if you can build those features into your application in a way that's not super gimmicky, but like in a way that, you know, Apple is probably looking for, you're much more likely to get featured and there's really nothing marketing-wise can compete with Apple featuring your app, right? Because it's front and center on the App Store, it just attracts so much attention and it's free marketing Um, So I knew that Apple was going to be pushing AR pretty hard. So I I really wanted to go down that path. I also knew or or assumed that, you know, Apple was a lot more interested in kind of utility-based AR versus just like gimmicky AR. Um, So I thought my app would be a pretty good fit for, you know, what they were looking for because it's a utility. You're using your phone to read the break and it shows, you know, it shows the line in a a nicely designed way and all that stuff. So Thankfully they were, and I, I got in touch with the right people at Apple. And uh, when the app launched, it was like top of the app store, you know, banner position, featured in the number of bots, um, and uh, got app of the day and all, all these, all these things that you, you frankly can't even pay for. Uh, and it was a subscription app, but um, you know, unfortunately it's just really hard to change people's behavior. Right. Uh, so convincing you know, golfers who are predominantly older, uh, to like pull out their phone when they're you know right before they hit a putt and then you know go do this. Some people were really into it and they loved it. Others, uh, you know, they, they tried it and, and it just didn't fit into their routine. So it became pretty clear that that was going to be an uphill battle and not you know not something that I could bet on. And it wasn't it wasn't even clear how big the business could be if it worked out perfectly. So thankfully, you know, at that point we had the technology. Uh, developing the physics and everything to understand how golf balls roll on a green and um, that, and then the Oculus Quest came out and uh, you know, the AR business wasn't doing great and uh, it was time to pivot. So we we decided to pursue VR.
0: So I, I agree with your point on Apple and AR kit. It's an excellent one that you brought up. I mean, I think, Apple is one of the biggest AR companies that's not an AR company. Like they don't claim to be an AR company, but I think they could get pretty big for a few different reasons. I mean, you have like these hidden features that they're creating or hidden sensory data that they're collecting from users. So you have the Apple Watch with the, uh, with the movement, you have Airpa- AirPods capturing uh, sensor data like head movement, et cetera. And then they're getting all of, these, uh, all of this data from a user base that's like multiples uh, X of Oculus. So I think that is really important and do you think because they have so much more of a user base where they're getting this data that they might actually go ahead of Oculus in terms of the AR space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm never gonna bet against Apple because I think they produce you know the best products ever uh, and they're the most valuable company in the world. Uh, so I, I love Apple. I can't wait till they truly enter the field. I do think mobile AR is pretty limited. Um, I think you know, I, I think some people are doing some really interesting stuff. I think stuff Snap's doing makes the most mobile AR right now. It's like purely entertainment, you know, face filters, other kind of filters, very exploratory. And there are a lot of people, a uh, lot of really interesting people, um, you know, on Twitter and involved with Snap primarily pushing that envelope and, and getting like incredible view counts for their content. I think it is very hard to monetize right now, which is too bad and um and vr is vr is a little different because if you do manage to create an app and get on the oculus store which is no easy feat uh i think we got incredibly lucky with how it worked out for us and i didn't even appreciate it until after the fact but for a company starting now it's very difficult Um, but if you do get onto the store and you create something that's you know pretty decent and, and people like it you can sell it for money right you you know people aren't really selling snap filters for money uh i I think it'd be really hard to get someone to buy a filter um so that that's a pretty big difference because uh developers (laughs) you know developers like money it's hard to run a business without money so you either get investment or you figure out how to make money or you do it as a hobby uh and you know vr thankfully has sort of crossed the chasm Somewhat, and now you you can create a business and actually make money if you have a successful you know app, uh, at least for the Quest.
0: Yeah, and for VR specifically, do you think they could expand into other categories besides just games? To, uh, like five, ten years out?
1: Yeah, I think gaming is like the entry point, but far from you know the ultimate destination. Uh, I, I I like to kind of compare it to the PC. Uh, space like personal computing, right? And I don't think the way I think about it is like most people's first personal computer was uh, like a Nintendo or an Atari, right? Like a gaming console because probably got it like you know maybe in the 80s or something like that, and you could use it to play video games. Like it's like it's actually a computer, um, and uh, and it created a lot of value for people. And there those you know Nintendo's still around a huge business, uh, but ultimately. PCs are not primarily used for gaming, right? Gaming is a pretty small fraction of what people use computing for, and uh, I, I think it, I think VR is going to go down the exact path where gamers are just more likely to spend money on something that creates value in terms of entertainment, which is like you know much looser to define—is it fun like that? That's subjective. Whereas uh, utility is pretty clear, like. I do it faster on my computer than in VR Then I'm going to do it on my computer because that's an edge and I want to be efficient. Uh, so it's much more objective in that way. Um, but I think that that's going to start to change uh, pretty quickly. And I think I think Apple going to try to target something that is not game specific before right. they release, because they've never really released anything that's like the gamer, you know, centric device.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think Apple's one of those companies that'll keep seamless integration between products and just see how useful they can make it to their customers. Um, other companies like Oculus might try to take a look at the entertainment aspect of it.
1: Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, and VR started in gaming first when they bought Oculus, it was very gamer centric. I, I think I think it would have been really hard for VR to get to the point that it's at now if it wasn't focused on gaming. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, you know over the next five to 10 years gaming is not the primary use case, because I think there's just so much more potential.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you were talking about monetization earlier. And for VR specifically, I feel like it's one of those things that you pick up every once in a while and just forget about it. I mean, research suggests that the people who do use VR and uh, pick it up around like once a month, but So the problem with that is it can be difficult for developers to have that similar retention rate as you would get on a mobile phone, which people can pick up like 96 times a day. So do you think VR will stay in this phase or will it evolve into people using it more?
1: I hope it evolves into people using it more. I think it's got a lot. There's, you know, I think there's a lot of hardware that has to improve in order for that to happen. It's a pretty heavy headset. The battery life, you know, only lasts a couple hours. Um you know, it's still relatively low resolution, relatively low power. Like it's like, you know, it's, it's very limited. And then, yeah, when you put it on, like you're closing yourself off to the rest of the world. Right. So I think, uh, it's gotta get a lot lighter. The battery has got to get the battery has to improve. Resolution has to improve. And then as we, you know, as cameras get added to the headset, you know, high resolution cameras, such that when you put it on, you can still see the real world clearly um that's a game changer right now it's like i can it it, kind of it kind of blurs the lines between ar and vr at that point because i'm using sort of these cameras to see the real world but i'm i still have digital content that's right in front of me so it's like sort of this mixed reality situation and once that's good enough and it's comfortable then you know why why do you have a computer monitor when you could be wearing this comfortable headset that can effectively be your entire space, right? Right. Uh, And, you know, people still have TV, but if you're by yourself and you wanna watch a YouTube video, why not like lay back in your seat and have like an IMAX size theater, just like boom, right in front of your face with this amazing sound and everything like that. So I think as, you know, computer monitors get replaced and you realize you can do everything, that you did on your computer in vr in a headset uh, and now you're in the headset for hours and hours a day actually doing work and you know communicating and everything you do on your computer then it becomes a lot easier for developers to have these like you know kind of like mobile game type or mobile app type situations where it's like either free and you run ads to make money or it's like a dollar experience but right now to your point since it is kind of high friction to put on you're in there, you're closed off to the world, you know, your play sessions are typically quite a bit longer than mobile, but you're just not doing it nearly as often. That leads to these much sort of denser, richer experiences like, like our game, um, where you kind of anticipate the player's going to be there for a little longer, uh, but they're only going to do it every summer. So I think as people use VR for sort of more, you know, more practical everyday use, We'll start to see experience that match that and I uh, sort of the, you know, the, the web, the spatial web or whatever you want to call it, uh, it is going to grow exponentially as we as people are using sort of VR on a more regular basis.
0: And speaking of closing yourself off from the rest of the world, in terms of the future of the industry, how relevant do you think VR will be in like 10 years from now? So will it be like a technology that stays around for a while or is it going to or is it that transitory piece of technology to get to this futuristic view of AR with slim glasses?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really like to I don't like to distinguish the difference between AR and VR once you go that far out. Because I don't think it really matters, um, you know. If I'm if I want to watch, okay. If I want to play golf plus, right? right. If I want to play golf in in AR, whatever you want to call it, golf in my house, uh, I want to be closed off from the rest of the world. I don't want to see my couch or my chair, you know, out of the corner of my eye if I'm supposed to be on a golf course, right? So in that respect, as far as I'm concerned, that's never going to go away, you know. Uh, and a game like Beat Saber, you don't want that to necessarily be an AR experience. You want to be in the world. There, there are plenty of situations where you want to close off the world, and that's kind of the power and the beauty of VR. Is like instead of being in your apartment, wherever you're at, you could be somewhere different, somewhere you know, hopefully better. Um, so that you know that that's never going to go away, as far as I'm concerned. I think I think uh, I think a mainstream headset or whatever glasses has to kind of have the ability to cover your entire view. So you can shut everything down and go somewhere completely different and not have any light peeping through or anything like that. At the same time, for it to be sort of mainstream, uh, I also think you have to be able to kind of you know flip a switch or whatever and see everything in you know clear color, high resolution, as if you're looking through your sunglasses or whatever. Um, I think you need both of those. And because of that, I think pa- like what's called pass through AR, which is basically, it does cover your whole face. You are seeing a, you know, a screen in front of you, but the cameras are set up in such a way where you can see through them kind of perfectly and you can see your hands, you can see everything. And there's like very little to no distortion. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's a more light path forward than something like Magic Leap that's kind of projecting, you know, a light field. Sort of on top of your view where like it kind of has to be in a in a somewhat place otherwise you can't really compete with the outside light so uh and maybe there's a you know maybe there's another technology that just hasn't come around yet that that, that uh sort of has the best of both worlds but i think they're both incredibly important and i don't think that you know i think the ultimate device will, will handle handle sort of ar and vr seamlessly.
0: Yeah. And let's do a transition here into the metaverse. So uh, first off, how would you explain the metaverse to someone who's not in the industry?
1: Yeah, I think it's a pretty heavy word right now that, you know, requires a little bit more definition. The way that I think about it is uh, we have the internet, right? And, you know, in my mind, the internet is kind of like, it's this like, you know, underground data network that is, you know, bits and packets and, and everything kind of moving around but it's effectively invisible to the to the eye and what we end up interacting with are applications and websites and the web on top of the internet so the internet powers everything but it's kind of like you know power lines that are underground and um and uh, it's like the foundation whereas you know web is like what we actually see and what we interact with so i think the metaverse is going to be a lot like the web in so far as it's a spatial interface for the internet, right? Everything's still, the data's still sort of going through the internet. And uh, the metaverse is basically a 3D representation of that data. Whereas the web is a 2D representation of that data. Um, and and that, that's how I, I look at it. So, you know, in theory, you put on your headset or glasses or whatever, and you know, maybe for you, you're on top, ta- you're at, like in the penthouse of some amazing Tokyo, you know, hotel or whatever, and you look out and it's nighttime and there are lights everywhere. And uh, and that's kind of your starting point. And for me, uh, I'm like on a beach in Hawaii and there are waves crashing and I'm in this like nice modern home or whatever, like white sandy beaches and it's like very relaxing. Uh, maybe the headset is, you know, eventually smart enough to read your brain waves and it kind of knows like actually this is the environment that's probably fitting your mood the best right now so we're going to put you here um and you know you have the ability to customize that say like oh this is this is a piece of furniture that I bought from a creator that now is in my virtual space and I'm going to design my virtual space by buying content from these different creators Uh, And maybe that content is, you know, represented as an NFT. So I can buy this thing and, you know, use it, whatever, feature it in a video that I'm sharing uh, and now it's worth more and I'm going to sell it and trade it for something else or like, you know, collecting virtual goods in that way. Um, And then the way that we, you know, we consider ourselves to be building sort of the golf, the golf metaverse, right. Part part of the golf metaverse, like, I think the metaverse sort of like the web is going to have like a lot of different areas right you're going to have you know places where you can go learn about planets or whatever do education stuff you're going to have golf metaverse where you can go play golf courses and in order for that to make sense um we think that the majority of content has to be created by people other people not us right we shouldn't be we're not we don't we don't own this thing. We're not a platform that kind of controls every aspect of it. We have to build something open so that other people can continuously build upon it. But we sort of are, are trying to lay the foundation so that uh, you know so that the core experience is pretty good. Um, and uh, yeah, long winded answer that it's like kind of a boundless thing, but in in a nutshell, I think it's just sort of three D representation of the internet.
0: Yeah. So a 3D digital map of the world. And like you said, you mentioned NFTs. So do you think that's where they can have an ecosystem? So you have your digital house and then you could buy NFT art or NFT whatever to put in that digital house in the metaverse.
1: Yeah. And whether it's like, you know, specifically NFTs or some other Web3, you know, crypto based solution, or even if it's crypto at all. Uh, yeah i think that's the main idea is that you can effectively have this content i think what makes sort of nfts and crypto interesting is it is decentralized so nobody you know there's not one company that sort of owns it and could potentially just like wipe out all your stuff that's pretty amazing that's like you know that's pretty incredible um and the idea that it can be you know unique so this is the one chair that like this designer made and I got it. I've got the NFT to prove it. And, you know, someone else might be able to sort of take that model and digitally copy it, but it's not, um, you know, it's not, they don't have proof that it's the real one. So it's actually not worth anything. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, I think, the metaverse and sort of crypto kind of both coming up at about the same time makes it really interesting because I think a lot of people would argue that, you know, the Internet would be better right now if it did have some sort of currency directly built into it, you know, at a pretty low level. And sort of the metaverse, I think it has the ability to, to make that happen as you know, because crypto is where it is and, and it's just the two fit together pretty well.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people think the same thing. They also have a lot of people with FOMO, um, fear of missing out on uh, blockchain, crypto, NFTs. And that's why we see a lot of these like Bitcoin, for example, hitting all time highs relatively quickly. Same thing with a lot of new NFT projects. So do you think it's like a bubble right now and then it might collapse future down the road? But then long term, like the dot com bubble, it ends up being a big movement
1: yeah yeah i yeah the term bubble is interesting i think that we are going to see a lot of uh, volatility in crypto nfts especially uh yeah i i you know i don't know how you value an nft it's just you know it's pure speculation and that's not to be a diss on anyone who buys it like there are obviously people who understand the space really well and are doing very well um but you know why does this thing have value in a few years i don't know you know why does why does any art have value in a few years like it you know that it's kind of beyond beyond me uh crypto as a whole and bitcoin i think they're a little bit different because um there is sort of proven utility i would say now especially you know as inflation is kind of reaching all-time highs and uh you know thanks to the pandemic uh, there are just a lot of unknowns around how governments are going to handle things going forward. And, you know, Bitcoin in particular um, has to be a pretty good store of value. That doesn't mean that it's only ever going to go up, but it is, you know, it, it's a trillion dollar asset. That's not that's not nothing. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, so yeah i mean uh, you know thankfully thankfully or luckily or whatever i got into bitcoin 2013 and my original premise for for buying it in the first place was um you know long term uh this is probably going to be a pretty good store of value because it's got a fixed supply um and it is uh you know it's somewhat immune to uh you know what governments decide to do with their currencies Um, and, uh, you know, thanks it it has gone way up and it has gone way down in that, in that time. And I don't think that's ever, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. Uh, but I don't, but you know, people have been calling it a bubble the whole time. And you know, if you bought in 2013, regardless of whether you bought it at the peak or the low, uh, you're doing pretty well. So it's, you know, over a period of a few years, like no one has lost money on bitcoin if they didn't sell uh right. so i don't know you know yeah y- you could call it a bubble you could call the dot-com stuff a bubble i think we're going to see the same thing with the metaverse where they're going to be a lot of startups that have these crazy high valuations and turn out to be you know kind of vaporware um but then you're going to have you know the amazons the googles right. uh these crazy companies that change the way that we interact with technology in a massive way
0: yeah interesting interesting perspectives there and uh to wrap it up here any rumors on the street for the next version of the oculus uh i wish
1: i had some unfortunately they're keeping it pretty close to the vest they obviously you know talked about cambria uh which is not a quest it is a different line Mm -hmm. uh and they mentioned it's you know kind of more of a prosumer it's going to be more expensive you know they're going to be using that to sort of I'm very excited because it sounds like it's going to be a pretty big step forward. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's it's not necessarily geared at the same audience. That's fine. The, the quest right now. Uh, the rumor is that, you know, there are about 10 million of these devices that have been at least created. You know, I think Christmas is going to be a pretty big deal. And you mentioned earlier people sort of using it and then putting it down and you know using it again after a while uh thankfully a lot of our data is showing that people are coming back more regularly and if you can get people to sort of play with friends the retention is substantially better yeah. Yeah. so as more people get it you know there is sort of the spiral coefficient and now if you have a friend or if you have two friends or three friends four friends the bigger that number gets the more likely you're going to be using it on a regular basis um so i do think as more of these headsets come into the market we're going to see retention increase pretty significantly and as the hardware, better you know i think that's going to get people that are on the fringe to sort of commit Uh, i don't know when the next Quest is coming out but um but you know i'm i think we're at this very interesting point hardware wise with vr in particular where i think vr hardware is probably gonna uh you know advance faster than almost any other, you know, consumer hardware out
0: there. Right. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. Thanks for joining us on the MBIT podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, drop a five-star review down below and make sure to follow Ryan Engel on Twitter at R-E-N-G-L-E 820. Is that right? That's right. Thank you, Ryan, for hopping on the pod. It was a pleasure. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.